Breakthrough Academy here at Breakthrough Church in Melbourne, Australia, and I'm joined by Josh and Hello. just off screen, Nadia. So yeah, no, you didn't even get on screen there. You wait, you will again. There oh, yeah. you go, Nadia. And, um, and as well as those that are joining us online. But always remember, if you'd like to come down to the studio and be part of the, the live studio audience, um, I love the way audience, but mm. if you want to be part of the um, Bible um, study here, you're welcome to join us. At, we you know, have um, extra we've got, seats. We've got extra here. seats already in case anyone would like to join us. So come down 31 Michelin Court, Bayswater, from 9 o'clock to about midday. No, we won't go that far. Yeah, between 10.30 and 11. If you see me walk out, yeah. you'll know that Pastor okay. Peter's going too long. And then everyone else can leave at that point as well. That's fine. Yeah, that's right. People online just say we, we can control this. But I tell you what, um, my aim is not to take it beyond what God wants to say this morning. And um, so we will just um, hit it deep. And as you can see, we're here at Breakthrough Academy with my beautiful hand-drawn logo here. Now, um, guys, again... The crown, was it? Yes. And the deer thought it was a crown, but now he knows. What, what do those two things represent, guys? Book and a mountain. A book and a mountain, not just any book. Which book are we talking about? Bible. The Bible. The Bible. And why a mountain? Testing our knowledge here. Yeah, because it uh, says deep. mountain moving faith. Mountain moving faith, that's the one. Yeah, Jesus I said was you, there, I remember. Yeah, Pastor you, Peter just said it. Jesus said you can speak to the mountain and it will be gone. And um, so when I think of mountains, I think of mountain moving faith. Mm. And this Bible study that we're doing is to dive deep into the Bible. The Bible is central to all we do. It's where we get our, our um, instruction and it trains up, it trains us, equips us. Yeah. But we're doing it in a way that builds faith. You know, sometimes people, when they, um, they dive deep into the Bible, it dries up their faith. Yeah. It's a, it's a strange phenomenon, but they begin to become very intellectual and they just treat it like um, a, an intellectual exercise to be learnt. But no, when we dive into the Word of God, I want it to enlarge our faith, to stretch our faith, to make us have a, a more vital and real relationship with Jesus. Mm. I want people to go away from this thinking, oh, wow, I just want to get more into the Bible, not I need to check some more boxes and make sure I do my Bible reading. No, it's I just want the Bible to become alive. Yeah. And um, so, oh, and it's great. We've got Teresa um, from America. From America. America joining us. That's amazing. Great. They do a great church in America doing an amazing work. I love seeing some of the mm. reports you're doing. So thank you. I love you. the fact that you've, you've dropped in to be part of Breakthrough Academy this morning. And um, that my aim is to not treat what we're doing as um, a, a sermon in like a preaching method, method, but I am going to give you the instructions that helps you to treat the Bible as a tool that you yourself can handle well. Mm. You know the old saying, give a man a fish and you feed him for a day? <laughs> teach him the fish and you, and you feed him for his life. Yeah. My aim is to teach you how to read the Word of God, how to study the Word of God, how to go to the Word of God, so that it equips you, but also provides you a foundation for the rest of your ministry. And um, that's one of the things that God put on my heart, um, is to be able to train up young people like, like Jordan, like yourself, like Nadia, and so that you are equipped and enabled to go into ministry, all right? Mm -hmm. And I can't do that by saying, I'm going to give you everything you need to know. Yep. There's way too much in here that we can give you in a short period of time, but I can give you the tools so that you can keep building and, and growing over a lifetime. So let's dive into this. And um, I just wanted to say, there's also a few added benefits. I, I wasn't here last week, yep. but I did watch the live stream later. Yes. And we also got a very small uh, French lesson, I believe. Yes, you did. So who knows what else? 
you might learn here. So. That's exactly right. It, it's it, you can learn all sorts of things here, um, in and you get sideways knowledge. You know, even the parable of learning to uh, fish. That's not in the Bible. Some people thought, what? You know, uh, you know. It, it, actually, it's a true story. I knew of a pastor, and um, he got saved as a, a teenager. And um, his family were not in any way Christian, and they had no Christian background. Mm. So he got full of God, but had no understanding of the Word. And so he was just excited. And they said, yeah, come out the streets and do witnessing. So he's like, so he's sitting down with people outside the pub, and he's witnessing to them, and he's giving them scriptures like the Bible says, you know, bird in the hands worth two in the bush, <laughs> um, you know, which... If anyone's like, huh, I don't remember that scripture. No, that's not a scripture. That's just a saying that he, you know, yeah. <laughs> he had no idea. He said, but thankfully God just helped him. And, um, but he didn't stay at that point. He became a great um, studier and a student of the Bible and, yeah. and it works. So God does work through our, um, our, our limitations and our innocence and our, and, um, but, you know, he treats children and babies different to grown-ups. Mm. He has expectations. Yeah. He expects us to grow and to yeah. develop. You know, if that same pastor was preaching 20 years later and he said, you know, bird in the hands were two in the bush, um, that's what the Bible says, um, I don't think his ministry would be as effective. Yeah. But, but at the time, God is good. And I, and I think God is gracious. God does work. And yeah. so um, when we study the Bible, it's not with that sense of, oh, I must get it right. God's so gracious and good. Mm. But what we must understand is that the more we can dig into this, the more God can develop our understanding and our thinking and the more effective we can be. Why do we study the Bible? Well, let's start off with our, our, our first scripture in, in um, 2 Timothy chapter 3. So, Josh, you can scoot back over. Um, Second Timothy chapter 3. And verse 16, all scripture, um, let's just push it up a bit higher, oh, I can't. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. The Bible does a lot. The Bible, there's, there's amazing potential um, in that Bible for us to grow and develop and um, it starts with this concept, all scripture is inspired by God. And um, so let's just start with a little Bible study here, inspired by God, 2 Timothy 3.16. So I'm going to call that um, up in different translations. And a lot, most of, you know, you can see all the, um, all these translations, inspired, inspired, inspired. Um, but then we get down to this one, the Jerusalem, um, the Jewish Bible, all scripture is God breathed. Mm. That's a bit different. Um, King James, inspired, inspired. So where did this um, God breathe part come into it? I'm going to skip down, skip down here to the King James and the inspiration of God. Now, this you might let me just explain how this works. That's the King James version in um, English, and these numbers next to them represent the Greek word that they'd have been translated from. Mm. All right. So the fact that G is there means it's a Greek word. And they, what they did was they took all the Greek words that were in the New Testament, put them in a list um, um, in alphabetical order, according to the Greek alphabet. And they named the first one, number one, and they got down to, you know, over 4,000 here. Mm. And so they just, they just numbered them because, you know, in a dictionary, you don't number the words in dictionary because you can look it up because you can understand the, yeah. um, the, the actual letters. But, 
a lot of people can't follow the Greek alphabet, so they can look up a number. So, in thing you'll notice here is given by inspiration of God has one number. That tells you that that phrase is actually one Greek word. So, um, so you know everything here else here sort of has one one number per word, but inspiration given by inspiration of God has got one number. So that tells you that it's a, a, a phrase being. Um, translated out of a number. Hey, Deanne, great to have you joining with us. Um, and I uh, really appreciate you joining us. Deanne's one of our faithful online followers with us every Sunday online, and it's great to have you joining us here on um, Breakthrough Academy. So let's have a look at this word for inspiration. I'm going to press on that number. It takes me to a dictionary written by a great theologian called Zodi Hardis. Um, you don't have to remember that name, but I like saying it, Zodi Hardis. Um, and this is actually... I can still remember the day about you know 20 years ago where someone told me, I was talking, they said, do you have this Greek dictionary? And I'm like, no. And um, I went away and bought a physical one and um, it became one of my um, most prized hmm. reference for this. This is a great Greek dictionary. Um, it, it, it's, it, um, so I really highly recommend it. And um, the reason it's really good is it, tr it, it defines the word, but not just as a hard and fast definition. It tries to say, well, listen, in all its contexts, in all its circumstances, because that's how words are used. Words are never just a hard and fast definition. It, it goes into a lot. So you can sort of see this word. It, it, gives an, it, it unpacks it into its meaning. It, it gives um, alternative words that the Greek could have used and stuff. So it, it's, it's really good. Mm. Um, and welcome to Amber, who... Um, you're new to me, Amber, so welcome. I appreciate you joining us. From on, America. From, from America? Maybe. No? Maybe. Tell us where you're from, Amber. We're, we're having a discussion now. We're trying, everyone's trying to work out where Amber is from. So glad, glad to have you. Believer Center, I believe. All right. So, it's, so this Greek word um, is theonoustos. Theonoustos. Um, and it's made up of two different words put together which is you know, not uncommon for words to be like that yeah. so the first one is theos and the word theos is the word for god mm. greek word for god um that's why theology um it, it, the word ology logos comes from the, the the greek understanding to study the word logos the word to, to study something and so that's why we have biology we have physiology mm. what, what other ologies do we have guys um, um. We, we, you know, you think of all, Visuality. put some of the, oh, from California, Visalia, California. Well, great to have you with us, Amber. Um, you know, anybody up there, you want to put a couple of ologies on there because, um, and zoology, study of, of, of life, um, biology, well, theology, Horology. sorry? Horology, the study of the stars, I think. Study of the stars. So there's a few, quite a few ologies out there and theology is the study of God. So theos comes to Greek, theos. So whenever you see theos, the study of God, theos is God. So theos and neo. Now you can see that um, neo is spelt with a P. Uh, isn't the Greek language funny, you know, putting pronunciations like that? But how many know that we have a number of words that start with a P, but the P is silent? Okay, so um, if you ever get panomia, you know, they don't call it panomia, it's pneumonia. And, um, you know, and, and so um, if you buy, if you go into a, a hardware store and you say, I want a pneumatic drill, they will look at you funny because you don't get pneumatic drills, you get pneumatic drills. 
the, um, the P is silent. This, this is where this word comes from, neo, the P is silent, and it means to breathe or blow. It's sort of related to wind. That's why a pneumatic drill is a, uh, an air drill. All right, pneumolit, um, um, what, what did I say before? Um, if, you, if, you're, um, if you're sick and you've got, what, what's the? Um, the yeah, you get on your chest, um, I said it this before. Uh, anyway, you, you get sick and it's, 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 it's um, a disease and of the lungs, of the breathing, all right? Um, so, neuro is to breathe or to blow, and therefore it also became known as the spirit, because the spirit is like the wind, the mm. breath, yeah. all right? Um, so, Theonustos is literally God breathed. God breathed into. God breathed. So, when it translates this word, now let's go back. Um, remember at the start we said everyone, everyone said all, every scripture is inspired by God, but then we had the Jewish Bible, all scripture is God breathed. Well, that's trying to bring it back to the actual Greek word mm -hmm. to understand that. But inspiration or God breathed, which one is correct? Okay, I want you to stop and think about it. You, what I'm going to do from now on, because you've, getting, you've, you've, you've been given some basic skills in Bible translation, you understand the different translations, you understand how it works, you are now going to produce your own Bible translation. All right, you're going to start verse by verse. We're not going to start at Genesis 1-1. We're just going to start a few verses, and you're going to work it. And so I want you to name your translation right now. So, Josh, what is your translation going to be called? The Josh Doby. The Josh Doby Bible Translation. So the J-D-B-T. J-B-D-T. So that, that uh, J-D-B-T. The Josh Doby. Nadir, what's yours going to be called? <laughs> Can't be your name. Pakistan. <laughs> oh. um. Yeah, Pakistani. The Pakistani translation in English. <laughs> All right. So Nadir is going to be... What's your translation going to be called? I actually encourage you, start thinking about, I'm a Bible translator. I'm creating a Bible. Um, how do I translate this? How do I work on this? And you might say, oh, I can't, um, I can't translate a Bible. Yes, you can. You can, you can. All of us have got to do this process. And especially as you dig deeper, you start to become capable of understanding some of the choices. Um, did you know that... You know, like you, you look back at some of the most tra um, iconic translations that we have, like the King James translation, which has you know been around for hundreds of hundreds of years, and it's probably one of the best known translations in the in the world. Um, but they borrowed a lot of that translation from another translation. All right, so there's a guy called Tyndale who um, put out a translation and. The um, couple of other translations, the really um, significant translations, had great impact, like the Geneva Bible and the um, King James Bible. Both of those borrowed heavily, and I, I've, I've seen the comparison, and um, they've done the sums. It's about 80% of the New Testament particularly, and, and um, Tyndale didn't translate all of the Old Testament, so the parts that he did translate, they copied about 80%, but there was portions he hadn't, so they yeah. had to do that from scratch. But the parts that Tyndale had translated, they copied and borrowed about 80% of his work into their translation. So there is no shame 
in taking what is there <laughs> and using it to build on to the next level. And that's what that's what your Bible translation is going to do. You're not going to go back to the start and sort of pretend there's nothing being done. You're building on other people's translations to get your best understanding. So we've got the D translation from Deanne. So that's good. We've got the um, the the Pakistani Bible translation in English. We've got the Josh Dobie Bible translation. Aren't you aren't you feeling a little bit now, Jay? You, Josh, yours is a bit boring. You know, the, <laughs> yeah, the Josh. He's like, oh, I got the Josh Dobie Bible translation. I thought I could have thought of something better than that. But we've got the D translation. I actually like that. I reckon I could buy a D translation. All right. So everybody, you're going, you're going to start with the translation. It starts now. You're going to start with Second Timothy chapter three verse sixteen, and you're going to write this. And you're going to think about the whole concept of of um, of uh, concept packets. You know, you, you're understanding packets. You're going to take what was meant, and you're going to try and bring it into English. All right. So when what the, the first step is to say, what did Paul mean, and what did Timothy understand? That's where Bible translation starts. What did the author mean, and what would have the reader have understood? Can I say that's pretty much should be synonymous in the sense that the writer was never writing to try and confuse and trick yeah. the, the person that was reading it. You know, he's, he wasn't writing to Timothy and saying, I'm going to use a word that Timothy's got no idea about. <laughs> you know, if he's using a concept or a phrase that the other person doesn't know about, would that be a normal and logical way of, of translating? No, uh, of writing something? No, you, you, would, you would put something in... Um, to explain it. it um, can I just say, some people sort of balk at the idea of, of this translation process. They sort of say, we must keep it exactly as it was. You know, we, we've got to stay true to the original. And any thought of changing the original makes it go, go bad. Because, you know, in the past, people, when we talk about changing the original, it's often been in the context of changing the meaning of it and um, bringing in error. You know, so there are some translations out there that they have actually gone to the that they haven't they haven't tried to accurately translate it. They've tried to translate it in a way that fits their bias and their um, understanding. And um, you know, so th th there's um, um, so you got to watch that. You know, I'm not saying the mo the ones you go down at Kurong Bible Store there, but there are other. Um, I think it's called the New World Translation by the Jehovah Witnesses. They have their own translation of the Bible. Well, I would just say that um, uh, having looked at that and others having looked at that Bible, it's not a good, accurate translation. It's a it's a translation filled with biases. They've tried to bring their mm. things that they wanted you to believe and, and, and push it into the Bible That's rather true. than just letting the Bible speak. That's no longer God-breathed. No. It's inspired it, by them. Yeah, it, it becomes breathed by me because <laughs> I'm putting my breath into it. So, some, so when I talk about translating and and moving away from the original people go like, oh no 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 I don't want that type of bible mm. you know I don't want the next I don't want the next um, <laughs> um cult bible coming from me you know this is I want but every bible has to have some sort of understanding of the, the translation and because if the person writing it was writing to them and they thought well would they understand this there's actually instances in the Bible where they say, oh, if you do, I'm telling you something, but if you don't understand, I'll give you a little bit of explanation. So the concept of providing information or doing some sort of um, conversion in terms of trying to get that thought packet, that, that concept packet over, is biblical. Let me give you a couple examples of this. Um, 
So we're still going to come back here, but I just want to show you that what you're doing is actually a biblical concept. It is actually quite healthy and normal to try and get the, 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 the basic meaning of this. All right, um, let's start with Ruth 4.7. Going to come back to 2 Timothy, so keep your translation thing going. But Ruth 4.7, I want you to have confidence that what you're doing is actually what the Bible itself does. So this is... Um, um, let me just go back to the actual Bible. So. <laughs> let me read verse 6. This is the story of Ruth. And it's a, and um, we've, we've, Boaz has come. And he, verse 5, Boaz says, On the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you must also acquire Ruth. So he's talking about, I need to go and buy a field so that I have the rights to, to, to um, also be able to legally marry Ruth. And um, uh, and verse 7 says, Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning the redemption and the exchange of land to confirm any matter. A man removed his sandal and gave it to another. And this was the manner of attestation in Israel. In other words, if you wanted to exchange land, you would take something that represented that land and the fact your ownership of it, which is a sandal, because I walked on it. It's got some of the dust of that land. Yeah. And I'm saying, this is what I own. This is what I possess. This yeah. is what I'm... And I took, take it off, and I give you a, a sandal. And that means that we're selling that piece of land. Now, exchanging sandals, by the time the author is writing this, is no longer the custom. So he says, if I tell you that Boaz gave them his sandal. So verse 8, so the closest relative said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, and he removed his sandal. Now, if you didn't know it, verse 7, you'd say, buy the land and I take off my sandal. What are you taking your sandal off for? You know, you've got, got something in your shoe, you know, you're going to hit me with it. What, what is this? Yeah. What is a sandal? So he said, before I tell you this, I've got to tell you this. Because by the time that he was writing this, the sandal was no longer a custom that they used. Yeah. So the Bible author understood this was a bridge. Mm. If I just tell you what happened you won't understand. So I've got to give you a bit of an explanation about it. I've got to give you a cultural um, bit of background so that you can interpret this. So the Bible does in itself say, oh, when I'm, when I'm giving this information, I've got to help you understand it. So for us to do that today is actually very normal. God wants us to do that. He doesn't want us to be saying, um, just say I gave them the sandal and leave it at that. <laughs> Because of so you can imagine if without verse seven, so the closest relative said to Boaz, "Buy it for yourself," and he removed his sandal. People would be arguing for years. What does it mean? He removed his sandal. Why did he remove his sandal? Is that a mistranslation? Was that something else? You know what was it? What was that? But with this verse seven, it says, "Ah, it makes yeah. perfect sense." Let me give you another couple of examples because I want you to show you this is quite normal to try and do this process because yeah. there are some people that might argue with you and say, no, no, keep it to the original. Well, if the original doesn't have a translation, what do I do in, you know, in that situation? So let's look at another scripture. Um, let's look at Exodus 16, 36. This is a big one that happens a lot. Um, Okay, for, to understand this, I'm just going to go back. I think it's verse... Um, in my actual Bible, Bible. 
uh, verse 16. So I'll go back to verse 16. Scrolling, scrolling. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather, this is talking about the manna. Gather of it every man as much as he should eat, and you shall take an omer apiece. Mm. All right? You shall take an omer apiece. That's, so that's New American, an omer. Ah, yeah, I always thought I should take an omer. Now, what, what problem do you see here in that translation? We don't know what an omer is. You've got no idea what an omer is. All right? So, look at what the Bible translated did in verse 36. An omer... Uh, it's, uh, see if we can sit down there. An omer is a tenth of an ephah. <laughs> okay, we still have a problem here. But what was the Bible translator doing? What was the Bible writer doing? He was saying, you might not know what an omer is. Mm. I'm just going to tell you it was a tenth of an ephah because he was assuming that they, an ephah was a common understood yeah. weight. And he said, so I'll help you here. <laughs> and uh, now do you want to know the funny thing is... In my New American Bible, it gives me a reference in the margin to that to tell me what a em, um, sorry, what uh, an ephah is. Because you know, like, if just just being able to get that doesn't really help you. So, um, so it goes. I've got a note in my margin that an ephah is approximately one bu dot, and I'm like. I don't know what a BU is. <laughs> so the English translator put it in a weight that I'm not familiar with. Mm. Now I'm guessing BU, this is a guess, is bushel. All right, which is probably a weight and a measure. And, but that's an English measurement. But I'm not familiar with it. Mm. So can you see it's gone through three stages yeah. and I'm still none the wiser. Um, so let's, let's have a look at how other translators handle this. Um, I actually don't know this. I'll be discovering it with you. Um, Two quarts are a tenth of an ephah, so that they'd already translated Omer into um, an English translation, and then they've got um, uh, so the Omer, the container used to measure the manna, mm. held about two quarts. It's a approximately a tenth of a bushel. So there you go, a bushel. All right. So now that they've already, they're, 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 so it's saying, I better put the Omer in because if I if I put quarts in your thing, well, why are you explaining it? Yeah. An Omer, the container used to measure the manna held about two quarts. It's approximately a tenth of a bushel. So um, I think that uh, the standard dry measure then used in, in use equaled 20 quarts. So there's something, I think you'll know what a quart is, like a quart of milk. Not that we really use that in, in Australia. Um, so you can sort of see how people have had to sort of um, try and work this thing through. And a lot of the Bibles just end up saying an omer is the tenth part of an ephah, which really doesn't help us. Mm. But it's funny, they're quite happy to leave that as two words that we don't understand, but the Bible writer was trying to get them understanding it. Yeah. He was trying to get them to understand it, but they've said, oh, we better not change it. So what's the best way? What is your... Um, in your Bible translation, so in the D translation, um, Amber, what's your Bible tra translation going to be? Is it an Amber? That, that's a that's a beautiful name. I, I make sure make sure you put the name Amber in your translation because that's a it's a, a, a not a, Josh. Yeah, not yeah, Josh Doby. Oh, yeah, go you know. But um, what are you going to do in your Bible translation when it comes to weights and measures and things that are Bible 
measurements. So money, times, days of the week, months of the year, all these things which when you translate them over, um, are you just going to transliterate? In other words, you just, so this is what's called a transliteration, all right? A transliteration means I just take the word and I put it in there without making it into an English word. Mm. So the, 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 the word is Omer in the Hebrew, so we will just say Omer here, all right? It's just, we, just, we, just, we just say what it is. Mm. Is that going to be your approach? Because, you know, that's, look how many translations did that. Lots of them did that. And um, an Omer is a tenth of an ephah, was very common. And even a New English translation, which in terms of where a translation sits, sits more in the middle of trying to be more of a, a packet sort of understanding, has not done anything with that. Mm. Um, what's your approach going to be? Okay, when, when you look at translations, will you put it in or do you just put it there? It, um, how do you go about this? Do you put a little asterisk on it? <laughs> do you like the, the, um, like the New American and say so you've got to read in the margin? Um, you know, a lot, a lot of people don't do this anymore. They don't do the old um, written page. Um, and so now they just go to um, online. One of the difficulties is sometimes they put things in the margin to help you understand stuff, but in the, on the, when you go on the, um, online, there's no margin. Mm. So you just you can't get those little, uh, those little notes. Sometimes online they have a little thing that you can press and it will give you the um, little footnote. Yeah. And um, the New English translation, um, one of the things that I love most about this if I go to this translation here, come on. Um, so if I go to New English, Exodus 16:36, um, okay, it has this amazing um, series of notes, and the notes are generally translation notes. So here's the note for this verse. The words Omer and Ephah are transliterated Hebrew words. The Omer is mentioned only in this passage. <laughs> it's the only time the Omer is mentioned is here in this area. So no wonder he's explained it because the Omer is not, not, no longer a current thing. So the Omer is mentioned only in this passage. It is different from a Homer. <laughs> and an Ephah was a dry measure whose capacity is uncertain. Quotations given for the Ephah vary from 45 to 20 litres. Um, and so they're not even sure about the ephah. So it, it, it tells you that they're, they're not sure what to do with some of these things. Um, what, um, but so you've just, got to, you've just got to work out, what am I going to do whenever it talks about these things? Um, oh, okay, Caleb's just, uh, just told me the translation note in the NET. So he's already, he's ahead of the game here. Caleb's already... Well gone into the NET notes and exactly what I've just shared, Caleb's put online to prove that he was there first. Um, so what do you do? I'm just, you've got to make choices when you do a translation. What I'm saying is, um, I'm, the Bible did that, so it is not wrong to do it. That's what I'm trying to say, okay? The Bible itself bridged gaps when there was um, understanding gaps. So when they, were when they were saying something that they felt that their current audience would not understand, they sought to give some explanation. So when we take the Bible to our current audience, 
it is quite natural to bridge that gap and not just leave you in the dark as to what that is. I do not think, so this is my personal opinion, I don't think that word Omar and Ifar should be, um, should be left untranslated. I think leave Omar as it is because the people who were reading the Bible at the time also didn't know what it meant. So I was like, hey, it's an Omer. And I'm like, I don't know what an Omer is. The person reading it said, I didn't know what an Omer is. So I'm, I'm in the same boat as the person reading it. Mm. But then I say, but I wouldn't use the word Ephah. Because the understanding was when it went from Omer and to the word Ephah, Ephah was understood. That's why I used it. There'd be no point saying it's, a, it's you know, um, you know um, what, what was it? One-tenth of a, one a Babylon book. What does that doesn't make any sense? It only makes sense if you know what Ephah is. So I wouldn't leave Ephah untranslated. I would put that in a under a, a weight that is understood today. All right. Now, what that means you might have to change is it says one tenth of an Ephah. I can't leave one tenth there <laughs> because it's not going to make sense if I change Ephah to another weight. I've also got to change the scale to that. All right. Um, so, there's one. There's another example. Um, let's let's. I just want to give you um, another example. Deuteronomy three nine. We'll go through these a bit more quickly than this this one. Deuteronomy three nine. But I'm wanting you to get the principle of of bridging. All right. I want you to understand. So this is the land we brought under our control at that time. The territory extending from the Aurora by the Wadi Arnon and the half the and half the Gilead Hill country with its cities, I gave the Reubenites and Gadites. Wow, that's um, that's really exciting. Um, is it right to leave these as names? Yeah, because they're places. And and um, but look at what happened in verse nine, Deuteronomy three nine. Um, it says regarding one place. Let's see. The, Sid, the Sidonians call Hermon Sirion, and the Amorites call it Senia. So it said there's one place in there that has is called different things by different people. So sometimes the same place can have multiple names. But the part I want to point out is that when Moses wrote this, he, um, he, he actually said... Oh, just be aware, this is known by different names, and here they are by different people. Okay, so he understood that if I, if I use an ancient name, but there's a modern name, I should also maybe tell you the modern name. That was, they did that inside the Bible. So if I do that in my Bible translation, I'm not being unbiblical, I'm actually following the pattern of trying to help you understand. All right, let's... Um, um, Let's do one more from the New Testament, John 4, 9. So the Samaritan's woman said to him, how can you be, can you, a Jew, so this is, he's met with the woman at the well, Samaritan woman, how can you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan woman, for water to drink? How can you do that? And what, look what it says in the brackets. Uh, uh, why is she so, up? Why, is, why is she so exasperated? Why is she like, what are you doing? It says, for Jews use nothing in common with Samaritans. Mm. Uh, in order to understand why she's so upset, you've got to know this fact. 
Jews won't have anything to do and they won't share something with a Samaritan. They feel that they're, so, they're an unclean people to them. And so they would never use the same water bucket. So she's like, how can you, a Jew, ask me, a Samaritan woman, for a water drink? And in brackets, it's because I just want to tell you, this is a cultural thing, that without that cultural understanding, you might not understand why she's behaving like she is. Changes the significance of it. Um, so this is normal. It is not, it is not, you're not doing something unbiblical to bridge the gap. So you've got the two aims, okay? You want to find out what the author meant and then how it was understood by that, by the original reader. That's where we're, that's, and then from there, we use that as our platform to say, well, how does that apply to me? Right? The danger is if I apply it to me before I understood how they understood it, I could be interpreting it totally wrongly. Or I could be missing some of the depth or the nuance of it. I, I, I don't quite get it. Um, and this can be, this can be, um, I don't want to make this sound like, oh, you've got to have so much amazing knowledge. You can actually get most of this just by reading the Bible. Okay, reading it widely helps you to get a, a feeling for the culture, for the background, for the people. It sort of refers to itself. It has little explanations in it. It helps you to get itself. It, it guides you. It leads you. Um, and the more you understand the, the history and the people and the things that are important, there's so much you can actually get out of the Bible. And um, remember we, last week, we, we talked about a very important um, thing that we all believe, and, and you, of course you all... You, you're right. You're all over this. Um, the doctrine of perspicuity. You're like, yeah, everybody's, yeah. I, I'm, of course. The doctrine, go back and listen to it last week if you need to. The doctrine of perspicuity. The basic meaning is the Bible provides enough in itself to help with its translation. We do not believe that the Bible alone is, is um, not enough. Well, I believe... The Bible. I'm helped by outside understanding weights and measures and finding coins and things like that. That helped me. But the actual essence and meaning of the Bible, if I dig deep into it, it will it can reveal itself to me. Mm. So much of what we're doing here, you can actually find in the Bible if you take time. But I'm grateful for those that have gone and helped mm. me, done some of those bridges quickly for me. Yep. You know, so weights and measures, things that are a bit more difficult like that. That I, uh, what's an ephah? What's an omer? What's a, what's a bushel? Well, with a bushel, you've got to look at, you just look at an English dictionary. Do you know what I mean? Um, so go, you don't have to say, oh, the, the Bible's sort of like a, a strange book that no one can understand. But what you'd need to do is say, it's not going to be readily understood without some packet meaning translation. I don't, I can't just take, I, I'm, and I'm thankful for the English translators. They've done that, but they've had to make choices and I'm making choices. I understand why they said that, but I'm, I want to understand what they should have said or how it actually means to me. So I'm not bound by what they say, and I, I can I can assess it and I can weigh it up and I can say, yeah, that's all right. But you know, they actually hid the meaning from me. I like this, but you can also dig deep enough that when someone does a packet meaning thing, and you think, oh, I think there was a bit of you in that. <laughs> I don't think that was what the Paul was meaning. I don't think that was what Jesus was actually saying. Um, I think you've tried to 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 give me the punch of it, but it does. You know, so it gives you the tools to do that. 
and it also helps you to um, to appreciate some of the, the things that are um, uh, are difficult to to work with. But I don't. So let's go back to Second Timothy chapter three. All scripture is inspired by God. And we already know scripture uh, inspired is theonoustos. God breathed the breath of God in it. Now, what would you, in your translation, in the D translation, in the Josh Doby Bible translation, in the, in, the Deer, uh, no, in the Pakistani translation for English, how would you translate this? Because what does God breathe mean? Like it's not a phrase. It, 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 can I just say, have you ever heard of the concept of the word God breathed as a single word outside of this Bible, uh, this Bible verse? All right. So, so, the, so what do we say? Um, so which one of the translations said God, the, the Jerusalem Bible, uh, the Jewish Bible? Oh, I said Jerusalem. The, um, the Jewish Bible. All scripture is God breathed. That's not a normal phrase that we use. All right. So is he breaking a rule by using an English word that's not even an English word, really? Mm. Or is he doing something better? And everyone says, well, inspiration. What, would, what does the word inspiration mean? Something inspires you. Uh, when someone does something or you smell freshly baked cookies, you are inspired to then go and bake them. Yeah, it, 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 it Break, it, it causes something in, inside you to want to act and to want to do something in a particular way. Mm. All right? Um, it's inspiring. Um, all scripture is inspired by God. Oh, does that, that, does, that actually doesn't sort of really, you know, um, it doesn't sort of, you know, it's inspiring. Yeah. Because uh, in that sense, I like the first one where it's like, this is God breathed. Where that one's just, it's like inspired by. Yeah, given but, by inspiration. But, but that one, this is actually God breathing. This is the yeah. word of God. So I actually like that one. But I, I think what we're ha what's happening here is the word inspiration has another meaning, yeah. which is to um, cause someone to try and achieve higher or do yeah. something better. You know, I, I was inspired by you know the the actor so and so to to try and this. I was inspired by this sportsman. If he can do it, I can do it. Mm. If he can do it, I can do it. That's it. It's, I'm inspired. Yeah. That's inspiration. But I don't think that's the meaning of inspiration because the English word can have multiple meanings. Yeah. And so the trouble is, by picking an English word, if you're not familiar with that word, you might lock it into a meaning that's one of the meanings. So let's just, just you know, let's just stop and do this. I, I'm just going to. This is always dangerous because. Um, so I'm saying definition. Inspiration. But this is how a lot of Bible study happens. Can I just tell you, this is how a lot of my Bible study happens. Just checking things out, just trying to understand, just going. It's not all just dropped in your lap. You just follow a path, mm. ask a question, ask another question. If that question causes another. So, inspiration. The process of being mentally stimulated to do or feel something, especially to do something creative. I reckon... Um, I reckon that's what you were just saying. Yeah. But I don't think that actually fits the Bible verse. 
Mm. You know, I don't think that's what that's not what they were sort of saying. All scripture inspires you to do something creative. Yeah. I don't think that's what it's meaning. Um, if you look at the second definition, the drawing in of breath and inhalation. Ah, what does expire mean? Yeah, breathe out. To breathe out. Ex expire. Inspire. Breathe in. Breathe in. So to inspire is to inhale is inhalation. Example, crackling sounds are heard in the stethoscope on inspiration. So when you inspire, I can hear your chest rattling. Mm. I think that's what it's saying. Um, that's not what most people think. <laughs> Most people don't even know that definition exists. So what they've done is that definition more accurately fits possibly um, Theonoustos because it's yeah. got the breath. Yeah. So that's why they've used inspiration. That's why they all say inspiration is perfect because it talks about breath. Mm. The trouble is the average reader does not think about that as the definition. He's thinking that this yeah. definition. So it's lost. Because the English word has two meanings, one of which was not really well understood, and then the second one doesn't really, you know, and, and when most people say all scripture is inspired by God, it's a bit confusing because you're thinking, well, how does it make you get creative? And it, it might lead you onto the wrong thing. So what it's trying to say is what? What is the Bible trying to say? It's trying to tell you something about the scripture, the nature of the scripture. Not the fact that it'll make you want to get up there and sing, you know, at the next karaoke night. Uh, not that it meant to say, oh, I'm going to take a, a bold step and do something. It, no, it, what's it telling you about the scripture? It's nature. It's telling you something. So what would you say it's telling you about it? If you can't use the word God breathed, and, you can't, and, and we worked out inspiration is not very good, what word would you use? Okay, I'm, I'm, uh, what phrase would you use? Can I, can I tell you something? Most of you are going to give me a short phrase now. I doubt whether anyone's going to be able to give me a word. If you can give me a word, that's pretty powerful. But I doubt there's any word that is a good auto. Because we don't, because they've so said inspiration is the equal. But the trouble is inspiration is a, is a word that doesn't, um, register with me and I you know so so there's some some things that have an English word but if the English word is not well known then it's still a problem okay um, so so what would you do to give me as your translation it's it's tough isn't it to, to say well it actually is tough off the top of my head I don't know yeah so so let's see Oh, we did a lot of notes last week. Um, uh, I can't work out. Is there an S in there? Is it Theos Neustos or Theos Neustos? Doesn't matter. That'll, that'll work for me. Fix my spelling up later, my Greek spelling. Theos Neustos. Um, so we know that, we know that it, it, it means God, and that's breath, the wind. Um, but what's our translation of that? Okay, what I want you to do now is, oh, okay, Amber said, sent out by God. Okay, it's, it's got the sense of... Because it's, it's original from, from here. It's from God. What I want you to do, this is, this is, um, 
this is what I'm telling you right now. I think you've already got enough understanding in here. You probably just haven't put it into a concept here. Yeah. And this process is important because it helps you to bring your thoughts together and get some clarity and, and nail it, do you know what I mean? As opposed to have this sort of vague thing running around in your heart. Stop and just stay for a moment. What was Paul, what do you think Paul was trying to convey? Okay, he used the word God breathed. He's saying something about the scripture. He said, the words that we have, God has breathed into them. Do you know what I mean? This, is, this has got God's breath in it. This has got God's life in it. This has got, this is... Because it's, obviously it's people writing it. Yeah. But is it like he's put his, like, brand on it? Okay, so it has got, it's got God's brand. It's not just another book, it's... Yeah, I, and I get what you mean. It's like oh, it's got it's got the whole flavor of God. He, he endor he's endorsing it. <laughs> it's got his endorsement. Um, it's yeah. It, it's how do you? It, it's 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 not just. It's not. So we can say what it's not. Okay, let's let's go a little bit sideways. What is it not? It's not just a book. Mm. Is that right? Yeah. What are you saying? It's not just a book. And it's not not just man's writings. Mm. It's not just what man has written. It's what God. No, it's not. And he's breathed into it. So the man, so the man has written it. So the man does the writing. But God, in that process... God puts his life, ideas, and effectively himself in that. He's, the Holy Spirit puts God into that. Mm. That's a big concept. It's a tough concept. Paul said, well, thankfully I've got a word to use, theonoustos. <laughs> it's got the breath of God in it. It's got the life of God. It's come out from God in um, think of a balloon. I breathe into the balloon, it takes shape. Mm. And then when I tie the knot, it's got my life in it. Mm. Yes, the balloon is the outward shape, but without my breath, it would have no shape. Mm. You know, and you say the Bible's a balloon. I'm just saying, without God, this is, just becomes an empty shell. Mm. This is, it's not just the word it's the life of god in this all the scripture is breathed in by god um so i don't know how you're going to translate that um but they're the concepts to try and work and what normally and to try and put that into one word that's why they say oh um the same way he gave life to adam great thought from amber yeah, remember he breathed into yeah. and Adam became a living being. This, living, yeah. this word, um, doesn't it say in, in Hebrews, this word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword? This, this word is living because it's got the life of God breathed into it. There's something, mm. there's something about this word. Yeah. 
Alright, let's just take a look at another scripture. Um, book of Luke. Just looking at where we're up to time wise. Yeah, time, we still got time. Luke, um, chapter 34. Luke chapter 1, 34. Now, this is important. Why is this important? Because this tells you how to approach the Word of God. Yeah. Okay? I said that at the start of this series on, on being able to take the Word and make it your, you know, your own, you need to learn two things. What are the two things? One, it's a book. And second, it's God-breathed. Mm. All right? Um, now, if I just treat it like a book, it becomes an empty shell. But if I treat it like it's God-breathed, but not a book, it's like it's the wind, but without a shape and without anything in it. <laughs> I've said this. It's like, um, imagine, you know, a, a balloon without the balloon. <laughs> nah, it's a bit hard to, you know. He breathed into the scriptures, the writings. Every writing is inspired by, but he breathed into something which was a book, a writing. Mm. So we've got to treat it like a book. And that's why, so things like the Ophar and the Eph, Eph you know, the, I can't remember the, the, the names, Eph, Eph, Omar, and, Omar and Ephah, the, um, the, 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 the exchanging of sandals, the, the customs and the cultures of the day, all those things I've got to do. That's because that's the scriptures, the book part. I've got to help with that. Mm. The fact that he used the word God breathe, the old noustos, I've got to be able to work with that. But I've got to understand that if I, try, if I take the spirit out, I end up with just an empty shell. But they both work together. But if I just get fixated on the scriptures, which is what people have done over the, over the centuries, people have become fixated with the shell and totally isolated it from the, the spirit. And what happens? You end up with a, a flat nothing. That doesn't have the right shape or doesn't tell me anything. So let's. I want to explain how this theonoustos concept works. And in Luke chapter one, verse thirty-four, we get this amazing um, um, thing that Mary un got to understand through the preaching of an angel. So Mary's like being told by the angel, "Angel, you're going to have a baby," and she's like, "Ah, uh, excuse me, how can this be? Since I am a virgin." And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and for that reason the holy offspring shall be called the Son of God. And he says, oh, Yeah, listen, you know, even your relative Elizabeth, she also conceived a son in her old age. She was called barren, is now in a sixth month. It's so God does things. Mm. For nothing will be impossible with God. For nothing will be impossible with God. And you say, Well, that makes I, I like that. that you know, nothing, nothing. But um, let's just look at that verse, 137, in some different translations. They pretty much all say the same thing. For with God, nothing is impossible. Nothing shall be impossible. For every promise, the Living Bible, for every promise from God shall surely come true. New Living Translation. For the word of God will never fail. Um, message, nothing you see is impossible. Not one promise Passion translation, from God is empty of power, for nothing is impossible with God. For there is nothing that God cannot do, because nothing shall be impossible to God. 
All right. It looks like um, most of the translations said nothing, not, nothing, no thing will be impossible with God. When you, when you, um, can I get you to start seeing that word as nothing, as no thing? For yeah. no thing will be impossible with God. Just yeah. in English or plain words, but it actually works here. Um, no thing. But then a couple of the other translations are every promise from God. Um, not, and you know, for the word of God, the promise. Oh, hang on a sec. How are these translations now taking the word just no thing and actually mean the promise, the word? Well, these are um, more free translations. Maybe they're just trying to, to contextualize it and things like that. Yeah. Funny thing is, when you look, let's, let's, let's dig a little bit deeper in here. Um, the Amplified Bible, with God nothing is ever impossible and no word from God shall be without power. Okay, let me just tell you what the Amplified has done here. There's a, there's a couple of alternative ways of doing this and the Amplified says, I'll give you both of them. Alright, the Amplified classically sits on the fence and does not try and work out which one is the right one, which one is the wrong one. It says, I'll give you the both. You work it out. Mm. All right. Now that can sometimes work, but when they're two opposing thoughts, yeah. it's a bit confusing. Mm. And what it means is we're not quite sure. You work it out. <laughs> Hand pass the problem on to you. Now, now it's your problem to deal with because we're not sure which one. Sometimes it's like, oh, they're sort of complementing thoughts, but yeah. sometimes they're conflicting thoughts. And the Amplified's like, uh, we don't know. You can have them both. <laughs> All right. Now. Okay, that's helpful in one sense, but can I say something? When Luke was writing this down, he did not give two options. Yeah. He was only doing one thing. So this, this makes it sound like Luke was doing two things. Luke never did two things. He was always on one. So it's, it's sort of, it, it sort of helps, but it can hinder at yeah. the same time. I, people say you should never use the Amplified Bible because you know, it, it makes the word God sound different to what it is. No, I don't have any problem with it as long as I understand what they're doing. Yeah. All right. But would I? But it will give a different emphasis and a feel to what Luke was trying. But I, he, I appreciate what they're trying. Now, don't criticize anybody until you've finished your Bible. All right. Yeah. <laughs> when, when, when the Josh Dobie translation is finished, you can be, be very. You know, you can. You and can, it's more popular than it. Yeah, and so very good point. When your Bible has been finished, published, and sold more copies than the Amplified Bible, then you are welcome to do a critique of where the Amplified got it wrong. Um, all right, four. <laughs> Here's a little clue. So I'm coming down to the New American Standard Bible. This is the same thing as I said before you know, for the King James. Um, there's the English. There's the Greek words. What do you notice about the Greek words? For nothing is three different Greek words. Yeah. Uh, so that's a bit of a clue that Ah, there's a bit of a bundling going here. You know, sometimes one word is two Greek words. Mm. Sometimes one word is three Greek words. Sometimes yeah. there's a bit, you know. So let's 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 go one at a time. This will float your boat. Ooh, ook. Um, it just means um, not, no. It's a negative. Okay. It's just it's like you know, it's like putting a negative in front of something. We do it all the time. You know, like uh, uh, this is a. What's the difference between a, a lethal injection and a non-lethal injection? <laughs> that word "non" is vital. Very important. You know, okay, changes uh, everything. Yeah, we can. We do it with the word with uh, a. You know, uh, you know, and, and a moral decision. 
an amoral decision. You know, so someone, you know, just putting un, you know, you, you, you know we, we, we put just two little words, two little letters in front, and it means the exact opposite. Right? So u just means it's a negative, all right? All right, so that's pretty exciting. Let's go back. Um, ooh, let's try the next one. Pass. P-A-S. Uh, it means all. Okay. Everything. All. Pan. Pan. Okay, so so far we've got negative, all. all. Okay, not a lot of help so far. Try the third the word. Third, the third one's going to bring it home. The third one, the third one better bring it home, and otherwise you're all in trouble, aren't we? Yeah. Okay. Uh, here we've got a rahima, rahima, and as if anyone's familiar with this, the H is silent, so it becomes rahima, rahima, um, rahima, to speak. No thing is impossible from God. No thing. It's got no. That's got. That's not thing. That's speak. To speak. No thing Negative speak. All. Yeah, speak. negative all speak. What does that mean? That which is spoken, a statement, a word. Particularly a word is uttered by a living voice. That's really, that's quite, because there's different words for um, to, to speak and, uh, and words. And this is one of the things I like about here. It'll down the bottom. Well, there's a lot of rhemas there. Um, so here it gives words, other Greek words. So, and it compares them sometimes. So, logos is the expression of thought, while rhema stands for the subject matter of the word or the thing which is spoken about. You think, what in the world does that mean? Um, logos is the big picture. You know what I mean? The expression of the thought is the understanding. It's, it's, rhema is something spoken by a living being, mm. and it can stand for what, that person speaks for. It can actually, what I say and what I'm saying can be sort of intertwined. That's what I'm saying. So let's just go back. Um, let's look at the Amplified. For with God, no thing is ever impossible. So not, so it says not every, so literally it's got the, the negative, every, and then instead of rhema as a word, it's put rhema as the thing that the rhema was speaking about. So what was, what were, what was being spoken about is now the thing. Mm. So I'm speaking it, but what I'm speaking about, we've, put, we, we've had to sort of lock that in as a thing. Mm. So it's effectively not everything, because we've, we've lost the every. <laughs> no thing. Now, when if I say no thing, do I mean everything? Well, if I say no thing, it implies everything. Yeah. So, I, but I lose the emphasis because mm. if I say there is not one thing, um, I, it's the same as saying there's no no thing. But by saying all, yeah. I'm putting a bit more punch in it. Yeah. So the punch has got lost mm. in nothing. Yeah. And the thing has become the thing I've spoken about, as opposed to the act of speaking. All right. Mm. So, with God, no thing that, it, 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 you know, the thing that God speaks about, it's, it's not impossible for it to happen. Now, let's look at the, um, and no word from God shall ever be without the power or impossible of fulfillment. 
There's nothing, there's never any of the, all the words of God, that when God speaks the word, mm. there's not the power in it to get it done. Mm. Now, when I say no thing, and I just say think, focus on the promise, that's why one of the other translations has said no, the promise. For every promise, Living Bible, every promise from God shall surely come true. Um, but go back to our Amplified no word from God shall be without the power or impossible of fulfillment what was the angel saying to Mary she said how can it happen mm. he said God spoke it to you and because God spoke it to you that spoken word now has the power for its fulfillment yeah. If God says something to you, it contains the power for it to happen. Mm. Because if when did it when did it when did it become powerful when God said it? As soon as God said it, his power was in it. He never says something that he doesn't have the power to back up, or um, it's sort of the word becomes the endorsement and the power for it to happen because God's spoken into it. Do you know what I mean? His, his word goes out and it becomes something tangible. That you can... So Mary, he said, hey Mary, if God said it, there's power in that word. And as soon as he said it, as soon as he said, you will have a baby, you had the power to have a baby. Mm. As soon as he said it, you've got it. All scripture is inspired by God. So he's spoken to the word. This shape is filled with God and therefore filled with everything needed to accomplish that word. It's the power of God. It's mm. the word of God. So let's go back to 2 Timothy <coughs> chapter 3. All scripture is inspired by God. Now, because... This is the nature of this. Let's look at what it can accomplish. In light of the fact that this is not just a book of someone's words. Ah, oh, did he say? Um, let me just look. I don't even know if my shot myself, but um, let's just look it up. The word scripture. Sorry, I've got to scroll down a bit to get to it. Let's do it from the American. All scripture. Let's have a look at the Greek word there. All graphe. All writings, it talks about the writings, okay, all the writings. Mm. Okay, the reason I just want to highlight that is he didn't say the breath of God is powerful. Mm. He didn't say the breath of God is powerful to do all these things. He said the scriptures, the writings, which have the breath of God in them, yeah. become powerful to do these things. All right? Um, become power. Why is that important? The power is not separated from here. He's put it into the word. Mm. So in order to get the power, we need to go through the word. Ah, oh, but this is just written by men. Luke wrote it. Paul wrote it. Yeah, but God put his breath through their words. Mm. Does that mean that everybody who wrote anything was doing it, you know, was, you know, so like a, in a trance state? I am writing as dictated by God, mm. you know, because that's some stuff, you know, there, listen, there, there's some translations or some Bibles out there 
where um, there's, there's, I think the Book of Mormon was like it was an angel told him the words or you know told him where to find stuff. You know, you know, there, there's that sort of sometimes where as if I'm just listening and I'm writing down what God said. It's not like that. It didn't say all scripture was dictated by the Spirit. Mm. It says they wrote it and then God put his breath into it. So their, their, their feelings, their emotions, their thoughts, their angst, sometimes their errors and their mistakes are in here. Like if you read a book like Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes is the writings of a man who's become disillusioned with life. He said, you know, eat, drink, and be merry, because tomorrow we die. <laughs> you know, what's the point? You know, Solomon, basically, I tried all this stuff, and it ended up being useless. You know, I tried to build big kingdoms. I tried to do this. I tried to do good works. And in the end, what's the point? Mm. He is a disillusioned man. Does that mean that God was disillusioned? No. He inspired the writings of a disillusioned man to write so that we can understand the emptiness of disillusionment. Mm. And see what God says. So, so just because they wrote it didn't mean they were perfect. And sometimes when they wrote, did they know they were writing the scriptures? Well, I, I think that Paul probably understood that what he was writing was really important. Mm. But at times he goes, and when he was writing to the Corinthians, he said, listen, I'm not, I'm not saying I'm speaking on behalf of God of this. This is just my advice. Mm. So he said, like, I don't even know if this is God. I just want to tell you what I think. So even in, even in there, that, that sort of lack of un, oh, certainty, that this is the Word of God, Yeah. but it's Scripture, but it's got the inspiration of God in it. When you take the Word as a book, but you mix it with the fact that it's got the life of God in it, then what does it become? Look at all the things. It becomes profitable to teach you, to reprove you, for correction, for reproof and correction. I like the fact that I feel like saying, okay, I get it, reproof and correction. I'll tell you you're wrong, and then I'll tell you how to fix it. All right? For training in righteousness to live a life that's full of um, covenant walking with God. Mm. That the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. If you want to know how to live this Christian life to its fullness, well, you go to here. Is it because it's the Scriptures? It's because it's God-breathed. The life of God's in it. And when God breathed in it, it became empowered. So if the Bible says you can do something... You go, oh, like Mary. Okay, Mary said, you've just told me that I'm going to have a baby even though I'm a virgin. It's impossible. It's impossible. How can I know this? He said, because God said it. And once God said it, it became powerful. Mm -hmm. So the Bible says something about me. The Bible says I can do all things through Jesus who strengthens me. How can I know that? Well, because it said it. it, it <laughs> once it said it, there was power to do it. Mm -hmm. There's nothing, but I've got to dig into that and I've got to um, connect with it. Once it's been said, it's tangible that you can apply that. Yeah, once, once, I, once, I, once it was said, there was power in it mm. because the Holy Spirit. If Paul had just said it or if Moses had just said it or if David had just written a psalm, that would be nice. Yeah. But because it's God breathed, he put his life into it and no word comes from God without the power for its fulfillment. So God never speaks into something without putting his power behind it. And it doesn't return to him void. And it doesn't return to him void from, um, from Isaiah. No word of God returns to him void. So when he sends it out, it does what it, what it needs to, and then it returns. Having done that, it's got the power for its own fulfillment in itself. Yeah. It's not separate from God. All right, now, can I understand? Um, a couple of, couple of little 
you know, side things that I'm not what I'm not saying. I'm not saying this is God. He didn't say the Bible is God. Oh, I've got God. <laughs> this is God because it's God breathed in here. So here's the Holy. Now, so some people say like, so this is this becomes what well, I almost worship this. No, it's got the life and the breath of God, which will lead me to God. Yeah. You know, and the spirit always, the spirit of prophecy is, is always to exalt Jesus. Mm. So if you find that you get this, but you begin to exalt the word over your relationship and walk with God himself, then you've, um, you're not getting the, the essence of it. You're not getting the heart of it. Because if you read this, the spirit of God will always cause you to exalt Jesus. Do you know what I mean? So it, it has that natural flow. Um, so I'm not saying this is God. I'm not saying, you know, we, we become fixated in this. God has spoken into this. It's got his life into it, but it's his life that makes it powerful, mm. not, the, yeah. not just the words on itself. That's why we must um, constantly keep our heart right and guard ourselves because these words will actually conflict with our spirit and our nature, our carnal nature, and there's a battle constantly going on. And I've got to, that's why this word has got to look at, look at those, look at what it says it does. It's pretty tough, isn't it? It says for reproof and for correction. All right. Um, sometimes we think the Bible is just all about affirmation and patting me on the back and saying what an amazing person I am. Um, it's actually said, yeah, it, it's gonna. I'm gonna teach you. I'm gonna reprove you. And I'm gonna correct you. Mm. Well, I get it. I get it. I need fixing. Yeah. But the concept is that the understanding that unless we need, unless we come with that understanding that this is gonna cleanse me, it's gonna prune me, it's gonna shape me. Um, and I've got to come with a hungry heart um, because um, it's like you can't have you can't have your wall up. No, it, power block because then even though there is power in it, it won't have effect or for you take root in your life. Yeah, you, it's that's exactly right. You you can't if you come to it with sort of I, I'm going to justify myself or guard my my attitudes. It won't work through. Um, let me give you an example of that. Um, Luke, we'll finish with this. What, are we, what time are we going? We'll finish with this. Luke 16, 13. Where do you buy the Josh Doby Bible? Well, at the moment, it's got one verse in it. And uh, hundred dollars, hundred dollars for the first copy. Okay, come and see me. I'll, I'll give I'll, you give it. I'll give you my translation, and you give me money. All right. So. Okay. That's that's because my wife Christine, who's watching as well. So hi, Christine. Love your heaps. Um, sorry. Uh, where do you buy the Josh Doby Bible? She's put up there. Well, Josh, Josh. Now that you mention it, he's suddenly like, oh, there's money to be made here. It's a, it just, it's a, Josh, it's profitable. Yeah, it's you know, the word of God is profitable. Josh, that, that's what it meant. What a segway! <laughs> what a segway into my next scripture, Luke. Just amazing how Josh has provided the illustration. Luke sixteen, verse thirty-four. Help. Um, Thirteen, Amy. <laughs> thirty-four. There is no thirty-four. Okay. Um, now, no servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one love the other, or else he will hold to one, despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. All right, I, I didn't understand till even this morning. You know, mammon is a transliteration of an, um, an Aramaic word. 
So Jesus and his disciples spoke Aramaic, mm -hmm. but they put the word in English. But when, when it came to translate this, they said, oh, there was a Greek word for riches and wealth, but it didn't quite capture everything that this word. So they put the... Mm. So this word mammon was, had no easy thing, but it was a common word understood. And um, so we're not going to dive into that. But there's an example of, oh, how does that help us? Yeah. How does that help me? Do you know what I mean? What does it mean? But... I'll just tell it for the, for the purpose. That's not where I'm aiming. So I'll tell you. Mammon is like not just wealth, but the personification of wealth as a power, almost like an idol. It's like a, it's, it's, you know, money is not just what you, you know, put in your wallet. It's, there's a power system. And mm -hmm. in fact, there's a demonic power system behind it. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? That money, you cannot, you cannot serve that system, that yeah. world system, that money system. And serve God. Mm. You cannot. You cannot serve God and mammon. You cannot. Now, how difficult is that to understand? Oh, it's easy to understand. How difficult is it to receive? Yeah. Now, it says the Pharisees, the Pharisees, now a little description, a little bit of background for you. Now, the Pharisees, who were lovers of money, <laughs> you need to know this about the Pharisees. Because yeah. otherwise, the next statement doesn't make as much sense. So I need to tell you something about the Pharisees. They loved money. They were listening to all these things and they were scoffing at him. They were ridiculing it. They were saying, what a lot of nonsense. Why were they saying it was a lot of nonsense? Because what Jesus was saying was directly attacking their, um, um, their heart attitude. Yeah. All right? This is not just words. It's a spiritual book. It's a, it's a conflict between two kingdoms at times. Yeah. It carries with it the life and the breath of God, which will rescue me, but it will also require me to become united with God. And so uh, there's the Pharisees wanted the... Rather than say, oh, we're really challenged by that teaching. <laughs> that, that is really nasty, Jesus. That makes me feel bad. You know? They say, oh, what a lot of rubbish. Let's scoff it. Oh, it's useless. They want their money. Yeah, because it was cutting at where they're at. So that's why you must treat it like a book, but you must understand it's God breathed. And you've got to, you've got to be able to do both. All right? Now, I've, I said I'd finish with that scripture, but I'll finish with one more scripture. Um, Matthew 22 29, because again, it's talking to the, these scribes. Um, because there's a group called the Sadducees and again, here's a little description in there to help so every time you try and bridge this you are just doing exactly what the writers did on that day, some Sadducees now you've heard of Pharisees Pharisees and scribes Pharisees and, and teachers of the law they were the ones that were the experts in the legal system and the, and the following after that but there was one group, a smaller group of them called the Sadducees they were a, a powerful group, but they had a couple of beliefs that were a little bit different to the, the Pharisees. Mm. They did not believe there was any resurrection. They yeah. believed that life was over. Mm. All right, so that was one of their beliefs. So they said, so I have to tell you that to make sense of what's coming. Yeah. So these group of Sadducees, but they were experts in the law. They were well regarded. They were like high, high Bible preachers of the day. 
and it said, so they came to him and they questioned him, saying, Teacher, Moses said, if a man dies having no children, his brother is next of kin, shall marry his wife and raise up an offspring to his brother. I'm quoting the word of God at you. I've got a gotcha question here. I've got a gotcha, got a gotcha. You know, when, when you get someone comes to you, ah, oh, it says... It says here in your Bible, in your Bible, it says you shall not mix wool with cotton. You know, ha ha ha, and you know, so you're such a hypocrite today. I say, like, okay, well, I'll tell you the exact answer that Jesus gave because it works for you too. Um, so there was, he said, now let's give an example. If this, this, this is what happened. There was a seven brothers, and the first married and died, and having no offspring, left his wife to his brother. And so the brother is duty bound to marry to take care of the family. Yeah. So also the second and the third down to the seven. All seven died. You know what that tells me? Guys, you should have been buying takeout. Don't eat her food. <laughs> There's something wrong with this woman, all right? <laughs> There's one There's one common denominator for all these seven she, deaths. She ate her cooking at the end. Yeah, and last of all, she ate her own food. Oh. Um, and the woman died. So here's my gotcha question, Jesus. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. In the resurrection... Because do they, they don't believe in the resurrection. Mm. In this resurrection thing, so they're yeah. mocking him. In this resurrection, see, so they're saying if the resurrection was true, this would be a nonsense situation. And because it's a nonsense situation, it means that there's no resurrection. Mm. So they, I've got you. Mm. In this resurrection, therefore, whose wife of the seven shall she be? For they all had her. That sounds really creepy today. Yeah. They all had her. Mm. They were all married to her. It's probably a nicer translation, isn't it? Isn't it? There's, a, there's an example of something that doesn't really work today. Mm. Had's probably not the right word there, guys. But, Maybe. yeah, well, let's just see what they said. Uh, oh. For they all had married her. Mm. Yeah, that, that's They all had married her. They all married her. Yeah, I think they fixed you up, New American. You, you, you um, <laughs> don't, don't sound so right. <laughs> uh, but Jesus answered and said to them, You are mistaken. You're mistaken. You're making a mistake. Where did they make the mistake? He said, because you're not understanding the scriptures or the power of God. You're making a mistake in this because of two things. You're not treating it like a book and you're not understanding that it's God breathed. Because you, have, you haven't even accurately handled it as a book and you certainly haven't tried to work this through with God's power and anointing and understanding yeah. out of that. You make a mistake. So he says, in the resurrection, they'll not, they won't marry. He says, you don't even understand. Um, and he said, but now regarding the resurrection, I've got a question for you. <laughs> Puts it back on them. <laughs> ah, oh, I don't want to. No, I didn't come here for this. Um, but I'm pointing out, Jesus said, the reason you've got into difficulty is because you don't treat this, you don't understand and treat this properly as a book. You've mishandled the book itself, and you misunderstand. You're not walking in the power of God, which has been. The, just like the Pharisees before, you've got a bad attitude and it's clashed with this and it's blinded your eyes to it. Mm. All right? So, but if I come here hungry to learn and to be reproved and to be corrected, this life will then enable me to become. So if it ever tells you this is what God has said about you and you're like, yeah, I'm not so sure about that, you're resisting it instead of saying, wow, if it says it, that's true, and there's power in it for actually to mm. work its way into me. Yeah. And I do this. So, in your translations, in your Josh Doby translation, and your Pakistani translation in English, in your D translation, uh, did, I ever, did I ever get one from Amber? Amber, did you ever give us a name for your translation? Um, whatever your translations are, you're, you're, you're hungry 
to do the best to bring it across as a book, to bridge any cultural gaps, to bridge anything you can. But I'll tell you what we're not trying to, to write out is anything that's offensive to our um, spirits, anything that cuts across the zeitgeist of today. Mm. Now, that was just clumsy. That didn't, you know, like that it had, you know, it just means married, okay? But we're not trying to not offend anyone because yeah. the, the Spirit of God will, and people will resist it because something's wrong in their heart. Mm. But what we're trying to get is not just the Scriptures over, but the power of God. Yeah. And so, therefore, I can never fully do a good translation unless the Word of God has also been working in me, changing me, transforming, and the power of God is working. It's, it's a living book. It's not something that can just be a mental exercise. And um, by doing that, you find that that comes through. Mm. So I want each of your translations to be accurate and to be anointed. I want it to be a good bridge builder, but I want it to carry the life and the power of God that has impacted you and you are now bringing to others through that. So in your forward to your Bible translations, I would like you to give credit to me to saying, my translation was shaped by Pastor Peter Lewis, who helped me to make this the most accurate translation, but carrying all the concepts across, bridging all the gaps to make it easy to understand, but not losing any of the power that's in here because this book is actually breathed of God and I give it to him for his glory. So I've written your forward for you, so I expect some royalties. Um, which, however you're going to do this, um, just, just go to your word and just be part of that fresh translation all the time. I want to say thank you for joining me. I appreciate everyone that's joined me online and these two guys that have been in, in the studio. Made a lot of fun actually having them here. And um, like I said, you are welcome here every Friday at 9 o'clock. We run, what do we run, until 10.30, 11, depending on how things flow. Um, but you're welcome to come and sit in the, um, in the studio with us. It makes a lot of fun for, for us here. But you can also join us online. And if you've watched it and enjoyed it, um, it'll be on YouTube. You can go to our uh, website, breakthrough.org.au. Um, we have Breakthrough Academy um, page there that has all the, the past lessons. And you can recommend it to people. They can watch this one. And you can go back and watch the earlier ones that have built to this stage. Um, last week, we shared what is the best Bible translation. And if you don't know what the best Bible translation is, you need to go back and watch last week's. Um, because the D translation is no long, not yet available. Neither is the Josh Dobie translation. So you'll have to just deal with what I gave you last week. But in a, in, in a few weeks' time, when Josh has done the whole Bible, or are you just going to release the New Testament first, or are you going to do the whole well, Bible? Just do it a the scripture whole thing. at a time. <laughs> Josh says he's going to release it one scripture at a time. Well, okay, there you go. Um, so I, I will um, maybe have to revise my list of translations um, based on, on, on Josh's translation. Okay, but be blessed. I really appreciate you joining with us. Hope to see you next Friday. God bless you.